still look back and say, Damn it, I could have done more. I could have done more. I didn't train hard enough. I had too much fun. That is such an athlete mindset, yeah. isn't it? Do oh, you hear that so often? That's, That's amazing. That's what drives me now. So this, yeah, I have no fear of failure. That's kind of just the way I am and rightfully or wrongfully. I think because you fail enough, you realize the hell's are you scared of? You dust yourself Ooh. off and you do it again. Hey folks, Gavin Roth here with another episode of the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing. Sponsored by Homestand Sports authentically connecting iGaming brands with sports fans wherever they are. For more, visit homestandsports.com. I love talking to athletes, and no, not in a creepy fanboy way. When you spend time with elite athletes, you can't help but notice what made them that way. Their passion, tenacity, drive, competitiveness, work ethic, and self-awareness. Mike Morreale, former CFL star and current commissioner of the CEBL, checks all those boxes. We caught up just after Labor Day, three weeks after the culmination of the CEBL's 2023 campaign, their most successful to date with expansion to 10 teams and a new broadcast deal with TSN. It was also a few days after the CFL Labor Day Classic between the Argos and Ticats. You see, Mike played and starred in his fair share of Labor Day Classics. He actually suited up for both his hometown Tiger Cats and their fierce rivals down the QEW. But this year he had his feet up at home and enjoyed it on the tube. We talk about his days in the CFL where he won two Grey Cups and numerous other awards. How being a goalkeeper in soccer prepared him for a 12-year career as a receiver. And how his CFL experiences, both as a player and with the CFL PA, set the foundation for his current role running Canada's only professional basketball league. Mike shines a light on Richard Petko and Ron Foxcroft, two men whose belief and support helped Mike build a successful second career. He takes us into a week in the life of a pro sports commissioner. On the corporate partnership front, we discuss how Mike and his colleagues had to sell a vision to brands before the first basket was scored, and the partnerships that have been and will be so instrumental to the league's success, including a new one with Canadian data insights firm Stellar Algo that will help the CEBL engage their fans and partners in a more strategic and effective way. And we wrap with great professional development advice centered around self-awareness and relationships. You'll leave informed and inspired. I hope you enjoy. And for more episodes of the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing, Follow me on LinkedIn, visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or check out RothRevenue.com. So Mike Morreale, thank you uh, for uh, for doing this. Um, um, as I said to you before, maybe uh, uh, we're, we're recording this just post-Labor Day, and I think uh, a guy like you, it's a super interesting time because we go back to your playing days and you you're a Hamiltonian, proud Hamiltonian. You had a story career with the Thai Cats. You went and played for the other guys. Um, so Labor Day means the classic means something to you. I want to. I want your thoughts on how you process Labor Day um, classic games now, and maybe and and versus when you were living it. And then also your CEBL season 
wrapped up uh, mid-August, so just love to get uh, your thoughts first on Labor Day and the CFL, and then, yeah, let's uh, give me your recap of the season. Yeah, well, I, I think I'm blessed here. I get a pretty good summer now with, uh, <laughs> you know, the, running the basketball league, and then it finishes, and we roll right into what I would say is arguably the best time of the year for, for the CFL uh, post-Labor Day. Um, so, you know, Labor Day for me was very interesting because I had a chance to participate on both sides. Um, and they're vastly different. And, you know, the, Hamilton has always been the home for Labor Day. And I've been there as a, as a player for the Ticats and, of course, as a visitor for the Argos. And they're much different experiences. But actually, they're very similar if you lose as a Hamilton Ticat. <laughs> I would say that. But, uh, you know, that, that it, to me was just... Um, you know, the CFL is full of cultural moments or just moments that kind of stick out in no matter what you think about the CFL and where it is in your roster of sports. They've done something culturally that's very significant that, you know, is kind of built into who we are. So even though this year I didn't go to the game, I chose to watch it at home. I just wanted that kind of at home experience. Sometimes I enjoy that because I don't often get to watch the game when I go to the mm-hmm. stadium. Um, and they do such a good job, right? Of, they do of such a good job broadcasting yeah. and camera work. Because, because from where it used to be, yeah, carry on. It's it's enjoyable. Yeah. It's enjoyable mm-hmm. for me to be able to see the replays and go behind the scenes and all that. Well, and, and 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 let's be real. A little air conditioning this yeah, this helped. this oh, time yeah. wasn't a bad idea. It was so stinking hot. It so was yeah, hot. Yeah, and that brought me back. Funny you say that because I vividly recall playing in many of those games at Igerwin Stadium, wearing our black on black, Oof. dying of heat. And, you know, that turf there was no not even close to what they have now. And it was just, mm. it was, it was a moment. It was an experience. And um, as a player, you know that if you're playing for the Ticats, you, doesn't matter what's happening in the year, you need to win that game. That is kind of the turning point in the season. It's the highlight of the season. Um, this year, the Cats did not get it done. Toronto mm-hmm. had a tremendous mm year a tremendous year and i actually look i fast forward in my brain i'm like oh wow what will happen if hamilton's hosting the great cup which they are this year yes and the argos are the home team or the eastern team i'm like wow I, i've been part of that in 96 when we came in uh, as, as argonauts and played mm-hmm. edmonton in the snow at Iverwin. so i know it was a tough sell at that point in time but it's like if you're if you're an Argonaut and you're saying, hey, we can make to the Grey Cup, and isn't it great the Grey Cup's just down the road in our mm-hmm. arrival, so to speak? So there's so many things that go on in and around Labor Day that set the tone for the rest of the season. And this year, bad, good, or otherwise, you look at the divisions, and there's there's the haves and the have-nots, but come playoff time, yeah. anybody can win. Anybody Correct. can win. You and it's when you peak, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, now let's go to your current job um commissioner co-founder ceo uh the cebl uh, amazing uh, and this was a really unique season in many respects two divisions you had some uh you've announced a broadcast partnership um almost want to we're going to go in a little bit of a weird order with you but sure. let's talk about that season because i do want to go and revisit your path and I'm, I, I i love talking meeting you know, athletes, elite athletes, and just learning 
which you used to be. Exactly, um, <laughs> <laughs> used to be. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> you're even stretching it there. <laughs> um, I, you're you're still, I'm sure, in great shape. Uh, but but um, let's talk about that. Uh, where the CBL is now and the season that just was. Give me your give me your take. You did some broadcasting, so you can. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We have been able to build something here that that's really special. And, um, you know, even if you look just recently at what's happening with Canadian basketball, this was always bubbling under the surface. I'm talking about the World Cup. And and now at this point in time, when we're talking, yes, the the Canadian team will play tomorrow in the semifinals, the farthest they've ever gone in a World Cup um, and legitimately have a chance to play in the finals, possibly against the U.S. if everything works out that way. Yep. It is just a, a tremendous time for basketball. So when our league was created, or even if I fast forward to kind of where we are now in two divisions and two conferences in all the major markets and the majority of the major markets across the country with a broadcast partner with private ownership mixed with kind of, you know, the, the hangover of our, our, in a good way of our kind of, uh, uh, you know, single entity model where we really done a lot um, to establish ourselves and we have a lot of work to do of course as a as a bona fide sports league in this country and you know it's not easy to do that this is a big country with lots of different uh, ways of looking at things and lots of different um, you know things that make things easier in certain markets and difficult in certain markets it's not mm-hmm. it's not the same across the board so you know one of the things we've done really well is know who we are we know we're not the Raptors. We don't intend to be the Raptors or the NBA, but we believe and, and know that we're the best basketball played in this country outside of the Raptors. And we know that because we've proven it, not only on the court, but off the court in our entertainment package, uh, but also what, what players have been, in, been able to do once they've had a stop at, in the CBL. And that's probably what I'm most proud of, is being able to get players better contracts overseas, or help them on their path to the NBA, which we've had 10 players sign NBA yeah. contracts, um, or help them return back to U sports and, and continue to build on their career and hopefully their next pro career. So, you know, that's what we've done on the basketball side. But then we have coaches that are now female coaches that are coaching in the NBA that have mm-hmm. been with us and broadcasters that are now littering the screens of the major networks that have worked in the CBL and executives that have gone on to do certain things and coaches and officials. And we've just built a a basketball ecosystem that if I look at it right now at this point in time, if there was no CBL, we would leave a massive, massive, massive hole. And five, six, seven years ago, people thought it was crazy, you know, for even thinking that this could work. And, you know, a lot of it goes into it. Obviously I don't, I don't believe things were done the proper way. 20, 25 years ago, you know, a lot of it was American outfits trying to come in and, and plant the Canadian team here, plant the Canadian team there. They go and ask for money for the municipality and then they leave town. So there's yeah. a lot of bridges that were burned and a lot of stuff that we need to do. And it's taken time and it's it's taken the proof of concept. We just worked really hard at, at doing what we've done. So t- this year was a culmination and we did something different this year, obviously in the divisional model, which played out really well. Uh, which meant that our playoffs were, you know, east-west, uh, yeah. which is always great. You know, I, obviously, I learned a lot from the CFL. You know, we we kind of created the CFL of basketball, although I've had the opportunity to build it from scratch. So I've been able to 
shape it in a way that we sure. avoid some pitfalls maybe that come from being around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just been exciting to see our staff get behind it and our players really get behind it. And, you know, when you hand out that trophy, the trophy is, means nothing, right? It meant nothing when we made it. It was like the hope of this would mean something to someone else. And when you pass this trophy to someone and you see the sheer joy yeah, of, of winning it, it's like, wow, right? Yeah. You, you kind of created something that never existed before that now has meaning, that now has significance beyond just you know, playing the game, winning a championship, or what it means to their community and what it took to get to this point to be a basketball player in this country, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I have a very kind of interesting path to how I got here and where we are from mm-hmm. a basketball perspective, but it's all rooted in in what I learned, you know, playing and working in the CFL. Good. Um, and I caught it on TSN, which is a huge coup, and it's a point of pride Right. I'm sure for everybody associated with the league to be able to turn on, you know, one of the two premier sports networks in this country and see your sport. Um, So that helped tremendously and Mm -hmm. and and kudos on that. Uh, But, yeah, you talk about the trophy and and that we all know it's it's just the culmination of the journey. Right. Right. Uh, That that you 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 went you went through the highs and lows with your 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 brothers and sisters in the organization and you know when you lift that great cup trophy or you lift mm-hmm. your your championship trophy here it really is just you know the the culmination of an amazing bumpy fun yep. exciting you know journey with your with your closest mates right that's it, exactly what it is it's it's the, it's the culmination of the hard work and the effort and the pitfalls and the good times and only one team can win it. So it yeah. really is, you know, the survival of the fittest, so to speak. Nobody yeah. has the, the easiest path. Everybody has charges their own path and has their own experiences. And, you know, I, I was that guy in Hamilton at Ibrowin Stadium at five years old watching my heroes, Rocky DiPietro and Ben Zambiazzi and Grover mm-hmm. Covington and Rufus Crawford. And that was like, to me, was that's what I want. And that never existed in basketball. And I'm I'm happy that now it exists in basketball, that somebody yep. can see somebody that they know or they're related to or went to school with or saw or, or what have you is on a court that maybe they can be on that court one day. That's uh that's compelling to a to a person who has a dream to to make it. Right now the dream's probably the NBA and good. I want them to dream to the highest. Sure. You know, basketball is yeah. a global game. It can be played anywhere in this world at, at a high level, and we're seeing it now in the World Cup. Um, yeah. So it's uh, it's exciting. Yeah, basketball is more for those who maybe are a little cat more casual fans. They don't realize how big basketball is globally, right? Like there's mm-hmm. Europe, Europe, um, massive Asia, massive uh, yeah. basketball um, ecosystem and following. So. I think, you know, if you if you were, I don't have the data, but beyond, you know, soccer, football, you know, I wonder, uh, obviously sports like cricket and rugby, but mm. but f- with 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 a North American slant to it, I think basketball might be second globally in terms of popularity and following to to soccer. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You might have the data. You know, on you're, that. you're not wrong. You're not. Yeah. Wrong. And, they're, and they're pretty. I would think from a North American perspective, basketball is likely inching a little bit above from a global perspective. Soccer still yeah. has that foothold, but basketball is not far behind.
mind. And, and that's a really good thing from a global perspective that, you know, for us to deliver our games or to find, you know, partners internationally to showcase what we're doing. It, it's, it's not, I'm not going to say it's easy. It's not easy, but explaining it to people is not difficult. They get yeah. it. They yeah. understand it. Yeah. Um, so let's go back before we go forward. Um, you talked about as a kid at Ivor Wynn, you know, being inspired, watching your heroes. When did you know, is that, did you play various sports? I'm always intrigued with generalists versus specialists. And there's a lot of studies nowadays saying being a generalist and trying different things will actually make you better once you pick your path. Um, were you all in on football at an early age or were you like a, a jock who just did lots of different things and your dream was to be a, a pro athlete of some sort or was it always football? Football was the one I loved, but football was the path that to me was the most difficult. So uh, because I didn't really see it, um, you know, there's a little bit of minor football here and I wasn't. Yeah, big enough it's not like the U.S. Play. Yeah. It's not. It's not the U.S. It's not in your face. You're, you're going to gravitate toward what was there. For me, that was soccer. I played a lot of soccer. I played 16 years of soccer. You know, I, I played at a pretty high level as a keeper, as a goalie. Oh. Uh, I played basketball growing up. A lot of that. But you know, I was I was a good goalie. Um, I love football because I that's what I really liked. Like I was intrigued by it. I grew up in a family that loved football. My dad played in university at St. Mary's. Didn't play long. I kicked out after one year. But uh, you know, enough to get the get the juices flowing mm -hmm. and then of course mm -hmm. uh, my cousin is Paul Masadi and, and mm -hmm. I think that was probably the first point in time when Paul who's about five six years older than me hopefully maybe I'm aging him a little bit but he's you know four to five to six years older than me and when I started to see him when I was getting into that you know late kind of grade school high school era and he's at university doing well, ready to move on. He had a tryout with the Washington Redskins. Next thing he knows, he's with the Argos. And then I'm like, oh, wow, if Paul can do it, then there's somebody. So important, right? It, yeah. Right. And and then my cousin Christian, who's in between us, he had a chance. He got drafted and he went to Edmonton. Like, okay, now now it's becoming more real. Oh, like, if Christian can do it. Uh, yeah. Like, this is, there, there's, I, I think that's Pick on Christian. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know Christian. <laughs> I know. Don't yeah. I'll talk to Christian about that later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but it just became more real because there was more I can I can feel and touch it. I used to work out at the gym and Grover Covington was there, Rufus Crawford, right? all these guys that I mentioned. So it started becoming closer to me. But speaking of you know being able to play more sports or playing more sports, the reason I believe that I am a, a or was a, a good or decent receiver, however you want to call it, was because. I played goalie. I was going to say, time, when you I said key, you were a keeper, yeah, I did uh, it makes that. so much sense to me. My yeah. reaction to the ball, be able to see the ball in flight, catch the ball in flight, totally different ball, totally different game. But that reaction really allowed me, even to this day, to be able to like pick up things pretty quickly. And it was all learned behavior because of a sport that I didn't even end up playing which is crazy. And I yeah. kind of succeeded in a new sport based on the time I spent playing a sport that I stopped playing because I didn't believe there was a future. So it's, it's interesting how you look at that. And, and with my children now, I, I'm very much the same way. Like I want them to play everything. First of all, mm -hmm. they don't know what they're good at or not good at or mm -hmm. what they like and what they don't like. Um, but you can see it in your kids where, you know, they got something. 
Hey, you don't want to pigeonhole them in, into something because I believe they yeah. can be great at whatever they choose to do. So with me, yeah. I was always allowed to do whatever I wanted. And that really helped me, I think, become the professional athlete uh, that I became. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, success in one sport, translating skill set, you know, different attributes and uh, translating into other facets of life. I think I remember reading Roger Federer was played tons of different sports as a kid and and that helped him become great at at the one sport he finally said okay i've got to a point now i've got to pick a path right but uh good on you and i think too much of one thing at an early age might not be the healthiest either burn you out yeah so um so when you know you 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 had this great career in, in in football with the cfl you talk about kind of at what point were you thinking post you know your playing days and did you have a clear vision because we all know cfl players generally speaking need to be thinking about other Mm -hmm. forms of of career and income when did it start settling in for you about what do i want to do next and I, i gotta believe as you just, I think you said before, CEBL starting a basketball league was not on your mind, you know, so, but you moved into the PA role in marketing, but just talk about when that started forming about your post-playing days and, you know, were you excited about it? Was it daunting to you? That's a great question. I, I, um, I was always uh, entrepreneurial in spirit. Um, I was always interested in what interested in what else I could do. So even when I was playing at a at an early age, um, you know, I was running skills camps for kids, or I was running events, charitable events, the Dine with the Lion. And you know, I was fortunate I got into ownership of of restaurants, and uh, I just had this really broad view of of what was important to me because. I always believed that I was one play away from not playing again, or someone mm. else was going to beat me out. I, I my whole okay. life was spent looking at it that way. And it's funny now when I look at it in retrospect, I feel like, man, you know, I had a really good career, a 12 year career. Oh, and, yeah. You know, a couple of great cups. A couple of great cups, and, most and, outstanding Canadian. Yeah. yeah. And, Tom Payton Award. Yeah. I still look back and say, mm. I could have done more. I could have done more. I didn't train hard enough. I had too much fun. That is such an athlete mindset, isn't it? Do you hear that so often? That's That's amazing. Drives me now. So this, yeah, I have no fear of failure. That's kind of just the way I am, and rightfully or wrongfully, I think because you fail enough, you realize the hell's are we scared of? You dust yourself off and you do it again. Um, But yeah, that that drives me right now. That really drives me. It took me a long time to really realize that, you know. Um, but what drives me is, is not wanting to look back 10 years from now and saying, mm, I should have worked harder. I left, like I, left, I could have yeah, done I, I left something out there. Yeah. I yeah. love that. There's so many parallels between, you know, uh, the, the, an athlete's journey and, and then into business and career. And that's why I love, uh, when I see athletes succeed in, the business world it's that drive it's that competitiveness that tenacity that team ability and 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 and, and embracing team culture you know and uh, coachability often athletes i find um one of the great qualities of leaders and you're very much in that leadership role is is self-awareness 
and not believing you have all the answers and knowing where your blind spots and surrounding yourself with great people. It sounds very much like that's something you would embrace that. 100%. I'm, we built a culture here that I'm very proud of. It's a team-based culture. It's that mm. we're, you know, we're, we surround ourselves with all-stars. We help each other. We know who we are. We take care of each other. We, we share common goals. We all win together. We all lose together. That's the way it is. And sometimes it's not easy and you have your moments, but if you know that you're part of something bigger, it, it tends to get you through a lot of those tough times. You, oh, you're sad. not alone. Uh, you're yeah. not alone and we're, we're going to get this through together. We're going to suffer and win and cheer and laugh and cry and do all those things together, but we're going to accomplish great things. I, I think COVID for us was really mm. the time when we actually, that was the proof, right? Coming off the 2019 year or inaugural year went really well. And it's hard <laughs> to go really well in a startup. Anyway. Uh, we're on and our then, way guys. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then boom. Oh. And I was like, oh, wow. And I guess, again, getting back to not knowing any better, mm. I, I just figured we got to do something. Like, we could, sure, we could pack this thing up and it's done and spend X amount of money. We walk away and, and everybody says, yep, told you so. But I just, I, I believed we could do more. And that that decision to move forward and do more, you know, really, not. it's easy for me to make that decision. It's hard for the guy that had to put the money in and commit to this now for real for real yeah um was there was it were there some tough conversations there, there? Was, was it no, close there calls no a real commitment thing. across the board yeah. eh? great and, and that was that was really because of how we were structured as a single entity i went to one person yes. uh who told me very early uh, after he told me okay you're, you're the guy you build this for me he told me very early, you don't need to call me and ask me these questions. You know, I was calling, hey, what do you think of this? I hired you. That's, that's Richard? It's Richard. Yeah, Petko, yeah, Petko. Who, yeah. you know, him and I befriended one another, did not know of each other, kind of came together through another business uh, relationship. And he knew my time, he playing in the CFL, funny enough, in the Argos, because he was a Mississauga guy. And mm. that, the faith that he showed me, um, he continues to show me, because he's still, you know, majority owner of the most of the teams um it was was incredible because then he just let me be creative and he let me be you know not worry and it's not like he said do whatever the hell you want but it, it made me feel okay i i owe something a responsibility to this gentleman and to the staff and everybody else involved and i, I just can't let it die without trying so that getting through covid not just 2020 but then in 2021 again um, just galvanized the people in this office. They just now know they can accomplish anything. And it showed to the rest of the country, or at least those that were paying attention, I think these guys got something here. What the hell are they doing it? And others aren't. And they certainly don't have the budget to do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so all those little pieces, you know, it's, it's a journey. Um, it, it's a journey. It's not done. And I don't very often uh, look to go, oh, hey, great job. That's, that's yeah. not how I operate. I'm like, well, we got more work cool. to do. I'll celebrate that at some point. Where where did the marketing part of your skill set form and and because uh, you 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 go to the PA marketing, Richard sees you, um, meets you, knows you, says, Hey, I think you could do a better job marketing the, the league he was part of. Right. Um marketing seemed to be a common thread. Where did you study marketing? Did you did you learn it? Uh, talk about that. This that is an excellent question because, you know, I'm I'm still kind of the marketing 
guy here. And I always was the market. We don't mm-hmm. have a market. Bunch of hats. Yeah. yeah, we just, it's, and I don't, I can't tell you, because I think about this mm-hmm. often. Like, I feel comfortable doing it, but I don't know how I got comfortable doing it. <laughs> I really don't. I look back. Instinct, know, intuition. Yeah, something happened where I just recognized opportunities and recognized that if I can make a few phone calls and, and you know, impress on people, I'm doing this for this reason. And can you help, whether it's my camps or other stuff? I mean, I guess the biggest thing, the first big thing I did from a marketing perspective when I made my own macaroni. No, don't. Morelli macaroni, for God's sake. You know, and they're like, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I was trying to figure out when yeah. was the right time to go Morelli macaroni. Yes. Like, <laughs> that's real and you turned it into a fundraiser which is awesome it turned into a fundraiser but like where did that come from i have no uh, idea like these are things awesome. that just at the time felt like i wanted to do i thought it'd be great to do and not not for self-promotion yeah. um nobody wants macaroni boxes with that yeah. you know if you're losing the game it was more like yeah. how can i give back to community? so community is, is likely the root uh, yeah. i know it's the root of why I did the things I did in the first place and how we run the CBL today. Community is always first. And I believed if I were to give back to the community when I was a player, that uh, I, I didn't think it would just open up these magical doors and when Mike, when Mike retired, he can do whatever he wanted. I just thought it was the right thing. And I got a lot of joy out of it. And I got a lot of joy of seeing other people. Get That's great. That's It's a great case study. And, you know, sometimes it's not rooted in the the studying the principles of the four P's. It's just knowing who you are, your brand, your vision. I see a lot of we are Canadian Canadians who who you know started a Canadian league. Yeah. Uh, our rosters are are seventy plus percent Canadian. Like Canadian is a key part of your story. But yeah, I think you've just embraced the what what connects people right uh which is community and passion sports and yeah you don't need to be rooted in a textbook right yeah yeah giving people access to something that they've never had access to or limited access to is really interesting because then you draw people come together like-minded people come together to experience something that they've been waiting for waiting for and want to celebrate and that was that was a big thing that really um is is important to me to be able to give the basketball community what the football community and hockey community and other community sporting communities in this country have had. They've had access to things. And yeah, that's, that's well a big said. Thing for me. So, um, so Richard ta- finds you and uh, you start talking about you know the other basketball <laughs> league, uh, and then how did it all shift? Take us into that discussion about you know what. Let's just start our own. Yeah, it, it's fine. I think Rich had a master plan. When I look at it in back now, I'm not sure he was telling me everything he wanted to tell me. Um, he wanted me to be the commissioner of, of the league that no longer exists in this country. Um, I went to meet with the ownership group and just realized within the first five minutes, it's just not for me. It's just not what I envisioned the league to be. Um, and I went back to Rich and said, respectfully, Rich, I just, I, I just, I can't do it. I don't know why you're spending your hard-earned money on it. And he said, well, that's why I sent you in there mm-hmm. to, to, give, to give me the real goods. Mm-hmm. And then he said, I have this idea. And again, you know, I'm not a basketball guy. 
right? I'm a, I'm a football guy, and I love basketball. I played basketball in high school. I yeah, you're a macaroni guy. Yeah, pasta guy. Yeah, yeah, But I, you know, I didn't understand the global basketball landscape like like Rich did. And Rich is, mm. you know, just a few months younger than me, but grew up in Europe and understands domestic sport in Europe, which is insane and incredible. Mm. And you know kind of like hockey here where everything's mm-hmm. built from the ground up and and we are who we are because we've taught this game oh and the supporters right yeah. to the fans yeah so he he had this vision of why can't this happen in canada and the reason it hadn't really happened to date and still is a struggle for some sports is that we're so immersed in the u.s and what the u.s does what the nba does what the ncaa and that's the crowning achievement um, not what happens on the world stage because the world doesn't matter. U.S. or North America is the center of the universe, and whatever they win is whatever makes sense. But Rich had a very different view of what was working across not just basketball but soccer and other sports in Europe sure. and the domestic talent that's been created. And what really hooked me was he said to me, "This is what I want to do. I want to play in the spring and summer. It's a downtime for international basketball. There's no basketball, so there's a void there." And I want to play FIBA rules. That was his. That was his thing. And he said, "Can you help me?" And I said, "Okay, uh, let me get a better understanding of what that is, what the landscape is, and then I'll use my experience at the at the CFL, and not just as a player, but a player rep and a president, and a broadcaster, and all the stuff that I had the ability to do at that time." Yeah. And I felt like, okay, I knew just about everything you could possibly know about the CFL. And at that point in time, the CFL had been and is and was the only pro domestic sport in this entire country. And it had been around for over a hundred years. So they're doing something right. You know, yeah. stick around. Well, that long. And um, I, I think I had to take a lot of those learnings. So I spent some time in the boardroom of the Niagara team when they were still playing in the other league and, mm-hmm put together and I, I have these books somewhere um, <laughs> kind of a framework for what I believe was important. And that was, you know, pro Canadian, which again, the CFL had done a tremendous job. I'm, I'm not sure it's as highly ranked as it used to be. Yep. But to me, that was the most important and community was the most important. They go hand in hand because if you're developing Canadian talent and showcasing Canadian talent, they're coming from the communities that were playing it, generally speaking. Yep. So that was really important, um, understanding how players were compensated and uh, what would attract players here and how to differentiate ourselves from the leagues and teams that have come before us and failed miserably um, was all part of just putting the pieces together. But they all came through my learnings of being an athlete and, and playing yep. pro sports and what's travel like and what's per diem like. And, and they are your, <clears throat> they are your front line, right? They're your They're ambassadors. Exactly. So you're right. Your perspective coming in as a player in a pro sport was, was, uh, you know, invaluable. It, it was, it was invaluable because I, I feel like I understand them and the sport doesn't matter. It's athletes are athletes and they, yeah. they crave certain things and certain things make them tick and certain things get in their way. Yeah. So, you know, a bunch of prima was, donnas. Sorry, yeah, exactly. uh, was I reporting? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, what what happens is, you know, as I'm building this and I'm, you know, growing the team around me, and obviously I don't do this alone. And I was able to bring in someone like John Lashway, and I was able to actually be told to take the person who is now my COO, who is just the most incredible young and upcoming kind of 
sports executive and to explain to them my thoughts. Uh, Josh Knuster is his name. Okay. Good, yeah, uh, come on. You can't, can't no, tee okay. that yeah, up and not mention a name. You're worried. You're worried. I was going to yeah, say, you're worried. You don't want to lose them. You, <laughs> Absolutely. I'll edit that Absolutely. out. Yeah, no, all good. All good. Yeah. You never want to lose your no. good people. That's another key thing, right? You yeah. never, ever, ever, because the cost to replace it, never mind oh, yeah. the actual tangible cost, but just the, the cultural yeah. cost and, and all that stuff is, is priceless. So, you know, I would throw out these things that from a business perspective, maybe we're like, that doesn't really make sense. Why do you want to spend more here? Or why do you want to do this for the player? Or why do you want it? Like, why is it? you know, accommodation is so important or why is getting, make sure we have transportation or paying them this way at this particular time. But I knew fundamentally that if you didn't do those things, these yeah. guys wouldn't buy in you'd have no sport. You'd have no league, you'd have no whatever. So everybody bought into what I was saying and Rich, um, bless his heart, literally said, here's the key, create it and let's go. And right. how often do you get that? opportunity to somebody to trust you implicitly so you know i make decisions always with like okay i don't want to screw this up like yeah. i got to be very thoughtful some just come top of mind because like player stuff's easy for me it's just natural but there's other things you have to think about right the business side how does that match yeah. now how do i make sure that i'm not you know too heavy on the player side and forgetting the fundamentals yeah. of, of the business side so it's it's a balance but um I always thought I'd be in the CFL. I really did. Mm. Like that's, I, I never wanted to be a coach or GM, but I really, really liked the business side because I saw where I thought I could make some improvements and not because I thought I knew better, just because I had those experiences and I thought I could do it. But as you know, yeah. CFL is a, you know, in, in totality is a very insulated group and many of the same people just change shirts every year yeah. and it's not easy and I, after a point in time i just thought well that's that's not for me and yeah. lo and behold yeah, it's a very tricky culture and ownership structure general, and by the way yeah yeah exactly yeah. and and what what helps in your in the cebl is that is having that single right. you know sourced uh, owner um you know and 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 a more simplified decision making structure right. that you and can now, yeah, you can move too. faster too right, right. yeah yeah. And now that we've brought in, you know, we have six owners now across 10 teams. Right. Soon to be seven owners across 11 yeah. teams. Yeah. Oh, it's about to get more uh, complicated for you going for it. Yeah. Not as, yeah. Not as easy, but it's. But, but less pressure on Rich as well right. financially, right. right? Which is it's nice to disperse plan. it. But what it's I like is is in the, in the early stages when you needed to make some bold decisions and move fairly quickly and nimbly, you, you had the structure that allowed you to do it. And now you'll deal with as commissioner, you'll deal yes, with of course. <laughs> the fun of 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 uh, seven bosses instead of of one, right? Uh, exactly. But uh, so mentorship's an important theme to the show and to me. And I've had my mentors. I enjoy mentoring people. You talk about somebody like Rich, but I'm sure who inspired you? Who inspires you? Who who you know? Talk a little shout outs to people that kind of helped you become the success you are well there's there's a couple people you know at you know athletes or or former teammates that inspire me just based on you know their work ethic and what they were able to accomplish they were already tremendous 
athletes. They already had all the tools, but they always worked harder than anyone else. And it, it always impressed me, like whether that's Darren Flutie or a Mookie Mitchell or a Pinball Clemens or a Doug Flutie or Danny, whoever I, you know, I've been blessed to play a lot of with a lot of great players. They were already the best, yet they worked so hard to be even better. That that was always really important. No shortcut Something, to success, no shortcut. right? No, you work hard, you play hard, you have fun, and and away you go. Yeah, but you don't put uh, in the work. Yeah, you. Nothing. If you don't put in the work, something will suffer. And in a team sport like football, then if you're suffering, then you're suffering, then everyone else is going to yeah. suffer one way or another. And that's a very terrible position to be in. The, the worst feeling uh, of a of an athlete, but in this case, a football player, is to play a game and know you screwed up and to watch film with your peers and your teammates the next day. There's not it because you know when it's coming. I already know <laughs> what point, what game, at this minute, at this half. And I'm like, oh, dear God, please, power go out. Something <laughs> happened. I don't want my teammates to see me dogging it or whatever I did. Like, it yeah. was like torture. <laughs> so from a football perspective, I had a lot of people to look up to. Um, but Ron Foxcroft has always been a really mm. good mentor to me. And, and Ron is on obviously you know, famous in terms of being an NCAA referee and, um, you know, maker of the Fox 40 whistle and fluke transport. But, but Ron was always just someone that I befriended through the tie cats and ended up working out of his office when I was with the players association. And, and we really, you know, he was my sounding board for a lot of ideas because he understood the business side and the corporate side and the governance side better than I do. So if I had issues, I would talk to him and he would just, walk me through it. And when I started the CBL, he was my first call to say, this is what we're doing. And he's always I love the supportive. first call. So, yeah. so telling who the first call is, you know, it's, I just trust Ron's yeah. opinion. That's the key he, word there. The first yeah. call goes to someone you trust. Yeah. Good. I trust. Yeah. And, and, and it's not like Ron sat me down and taught me the fundamentals of this is how you do things. He was the soundy board. He was the one who listened and that I felt comfortable talking to because he wasn't, I wasn't getting judged and he would point me. He's, he wasn't going to sugarcoat it either. I'm nope, sure. No, right? he's going to show me this is the pitfalls. And uh, yeah. you know, uh, he told me many things of mm -hmm. not to do. And one mm -hmm. of which I did, which I, you mm -hmm. know, I'm like, damn, I should have listened to Ron. <laughs> um, but Having someone like that who, again, um, doesn't need to take my call, you know, he gets inundated with calls every day and wants and people that want this, that, and this. Uh, but, you know, he, he was the one and continues to be the one that um, when I get an email from Ron saying, I watched the game last night, incredible. Like that to me is just like vindication for, for all the hard work. That's great. Um so commissioner what's your day-to-day -day like what what what's you know you oversee so much you've got a great team around you but take us into what a a day or a week is like as commissioner of of a pro league yeah great question um there's kind of two parts to it there's the off season then there's the in season the off season people always say but what are you going to do now as our season mm, oh yeah. Yeah, what, yeah i remember that now? my cfl like, days yeah oh yeah you put your feet up yeah <laughs> it is i'm like this is when the work gets done right yeah in season you're just going it's just ding, ding, yeah. ding, ding. it's just a machine so it's the manifestation of the work 
now exactly. it's the work. Yeah, exactly. And so right now, so I'm always a big picture guy and I've built a great team around me. So what I did five years ago is a lot different than what I do today. You know, I still do a lot of everything, but at one point I did everything mm -hmm. just to make sure. But the trust, the trust I have in my staff is incredible and they always keep me up to date. So for instance, this week is spent um, preparing for some meetings um, that we're having at the beginning of October with our, our board or ownership group. Um, it is planning in advance for 2025 season and any kind of changes we're thinking of making or um, upgrades or ideas. I am seek, is speaking to and, and um, it could be private equity groups with interest in, in what's happening here. It could be independent owners for teams that are still owned by Richard but are open for sale. Mm -hmm. um, I, I should be in the Philippines right now for the World Cup, but life is just too busy and I couldn't imagine a 20 something hour flight and all the rest of it. But that would what, be something. Talk else about I'll that. Do. Yeah, because you are, as you said before, you're playing FIBA rules, you're recognized by Canada basketball. What if you were there, what lens mm -hmm. would you be looking through well, as, as a, a to player, players uh, like? Uh, it, it, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if there would be much recruiting going on or no, is it more? No, yeah, it is, is supporting the Federation, supporting uh, the Federation. Michael Bartlett. We work collectively. Yes. Um, we are, I, I think, two individuals that see the sport of basketball the same way and how we want to play more basketball and commercialize it so we can make mm -hmm. it fruitful and have it be around for a long time. So for me, it would be a show of support of, of Mike and Good. the Federation. But also, it took 33 players to get to the World Cup. Almost 20 of those players played in the CFL, or part of CFL, the CEB. Yeah, yeah, um, wow. That's, that's, we're part of the journey. We're part of the Canadian basketball uh, ecosystem. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not lost on me that you know, on the team right now, there's Kyle Alexander and Phil Scrub and Trey Bell Haynes, three of them that played in the CBL that are right now in Manila playing. So, Awesome. Either to show the support of the players, show the support of the federation, um, just supporting the game because yeah, you, you know we have to do it together. And I talked about kind of my first call to Ron as a, a mentor call. The first business call I ever had was uh, Canada basketball. Yeah, uh, and, and would that have been Glenn at the time, or would that? Yeah, yeah, Glenn Yeah, yeah, because yeah. because I know there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes of of where Canada basketball wanted to take it domestically, but it never come to fruition because federations got a lot of work to do. Right. And yeah, not always a yeah. lot of money oh, and, boy. and not a lot of staff. That's in the spotlight these days. Yeah. But carry on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, so we went to them and said, this is our plan. At this point, we already built the plan. FIBA rules, pro Canadian, clear players through Canada basketball, use Canada basketball officials. We just did all the right things. I'm going to check yeah. off every box that I think is, appropriate because we should be a partner of yours and glenn to his credit looked at it and said 100 let's do it love it um, and now michael and, bartlett former mlsc exec yes. is in those in that post and um and you you two are key figures at uh, the tip of the spear of canadian basketball at a at arguably its most exciting time but that comes with great responsibility now as well right it, it does because i i don't I'm just there to wave the flag, right? I'm I'm there to help support the growth of Canadian basketball long term. Yeah. Like I don't see it as 
us versus them, or this league needs to do no. this. Like I, I never seen. If that we're way. successful, there's yes. if they're successful, yes. we're yeah, that that's great, right healthy. Now, yeah, what they've been, what they've done, and it's taken some years, right? It's, yeah, to get to this point, and some disappointment. But you know, I go back to most of the players that play in our league now were Vince Carter era guys. They got mm. enamored with Vince Carter in Toronto and they started playing basketball and then they became professional basketball players here and abroad. In 2019, you know, the Raptors winning the uh, the championships, the NBA championships, is now set off a good 20 or 30 year run of yeah. people playing basketball and new players wanting to be like like them, like Kawhi and, and, and et cetera. Canada now going to the Olympics and qualifying for the Olympics, never mind the World Cup, which is likely more difficult than the Olympics, but them going to the Olympics next year will be another couple decades well of growth of the game. So yeah. their success is our success. Yeah. Right? Because they they got to play somewhere and we want them to play at home. We want to build that domestic pipeline. So we can't do without them. And we partner together on running events. Like we're a very we're separate businesses, but we we work collectively to grow the game of basketball. And then everybody wins when that happens. Love it. Great, healthy attitude. Um, talk about um, partnerships. At its heart, this is a, uh, you know, a, a podcast, a show about mm-hmm. sponsorship marketing, corporate partnerships. Um, love getting all the backstories and sure. insights, inspiration, but but just partnerships that you're particularly proud of uh, that you want to highlight well you know we i got to shout out to the kind of the original partners the, the you know the even just the supplier deals right the new eras of the world and in the small days um and the fox 40s and all those mm. that, that just took a flying leap and said yep yeah, we're going to help you um because again i felt you know we face the same problems what who wants to invest in basketball if i don't think you're going to be here 12 months from now and what is basketball? You know, how important is it in the in the realm of everything? Yeah, the Raptors are doing good, but you know, what's a, what's a Canadian league going to do for me in terms of getting my product out there and, and so on and so forth? So it's always an, an uphill battle, and a, a lot of it is based on you know past assumptions and uh, I guess longevity of other leagues and and whether or not they're willing to risk it. Because when you get and you know better, when you get to a certain level of you know, blue chip partners, they're going to demand certain things. They're generally going to work with an agency and the agent is going to yep. demand, I want these numbers and these metrics. And, the, and you you got to sell the dream in the beginning because you have none of that. And then you throw in COVID for two years, you really don't have any wow. fundamentals to share from a metrics point of view that's going to wow anybody. So you have to sell the partnership dream. And I always say, when I talk to partners, I'm looking for a partner that understands where we are, where we're going, wants to grow alongside us and wants to help us get there. And sometimes that's a relatively easy conversation. And sometimes agents get agencies get in the way or I'm not yeah. picking on agencies, but yeah, you know, yeah, people get in the way and they just don't see it the same because they're risk averse. And they don't yeah. want to be the one that makes a decision to spend X amount of dollars and then it fails or there's a problem. So we've been very, uh, methodical. Uh, we continue to call and knock on doors and every year say, hey, this, who's, here's who we are and this is what we've done and this is where we're going and this is our game plan. And since then, you know, partners continue to come on and betting partners maybe a low-hanging fruit nowadays, but yep. they're important. Uh, they're not just important for 
the money they give from a partnership, but for the marketing and not just Canadian marketing, we're talking worldwide global marketing of players and the brand and the game and eyeballs and awareness. So that that's a fundamental partnership, partnership with World Vision, who sees us, you know, for for being able to help um, what they are doing. Uh, and I think every sponsor wants to get a sometimes a, a straight ROI of dollars and cents, but more often now a social ROI. And I think yeah. that you know, basketball is a nice landscape for that, nice platform for that because it's very diverse and inclusive. So, you know, we're still not where we want to get. You know, we've grown every year. We've doubled our partnership revenue. We've added new partners that have made us, you know, better, whether it's the gurus of the world. We like Canadian companies. Like I love Canadian companies because especially startups that are disruptors because I feel like we're disruptors. You know, we don't play the same ending the NBA does. We play a different target score ending. Like there's things that we do yep. because we sell entertainment as much as we sell basketball. We just happen to play really good basketball. But, you know, we still need to land some blue chip partners. And again, I go back to my previous story. So if I look at the success of Canada soccer and making the World Cup and now the World Cup coming, that has brought an onslaught of blue chip partners to Canada soccer. Uh-huh. Um, through Canada Soccer Business or wherever it may be. And then now where I see the World Cup standings and the Olympics coming, that will that will start to bring more money into Canadian basketball, which should overlap into what we're doing. Because what we're able to do is to provide that Raptor experience across the country. So yeah. if you're in Saskatoon, you're watching the best basketball in the province, bar none, without a doubt. And if you're in Edmonton, you're watching the same. And if you're in, even in Scarborough, in that area or in Brampton, you're yeah. watching the best basketball played at that particular, particular point in time because we don't go head-to-head with the NBA. Um, but but partnerships and, and partners and sponsors and businesses like to be with winners. They yeah. like to be with 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 groups that are doing the right thing and with athletes that are accessible. That's the beauty of basketball. No mm-hmm. pads, no helmet, no nothing. Yeah. You, know, you can see the player and you can get to feel them and know them. Um, so it's, it's a grind, right? It's, it's a grind yeah. because there are a lot of things out there that, uh, that businesses are looking for. Corporations are looking for to spend their money to market their product. Um, but I believe we, if we just continue doing what we're doing, it's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. Well said. Yeah, it's um, and and the proliferation of other properties, other leagues, other teams. So you're right. The dynamic is so complex. Brands have many places they can park their money. On the other side, they're getting called by every event, festival, fair, team, league, startup, or established. So you've got to be really smart, strategic, and dogged. Um, in how you go about it, but you built a great foundation. And I think when brands see other brands associating it, and then that TSN deal, I'm sure That's is going to be a key because now they're going to be seeing it on TV. And when you could see it, you could envision your brand being associated. So um, this Stellar Algo uh, partnership I read about mm-hmm. recently, I really data and understanding because I see that having application into your other your success commercially with right. other partnerships, because you'll be able now, the way I read that, and tell me if I'm getting it right, the fan data is what 
you'll be able to get out of that, which you, among other things, you can take that story to prospective partners and find some other forms of connective tissue around those fan behaviors that could form the foundation of a partnership. Is that a fair way of looking at the importance of that partnership with Stella It is a massive, massive partnership that on the surface may not make sense to most because you're like, what is the partnership? What are you getting? What we're getting is data analysis. We're getting Mm. to understand our fan. We're getting to understand who they are, what they like, what they do other people that look like them and if they would be interested in doing similar things or how they treat tickets and do they come to games mm-hmm. or do they pass them on to the next person. But to your point from a sponsorship point of view, that's to me where it's really intriguing because then you can get into real conversations with your partners and that can tell you, and we can ask, what are you looking for? Who is your yep. fan base? What, what do you need this product to go to this subset of this fan base? Okay. Let us tailor make a package based on the data that we've compiled, not just ours, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, I think Stellar Algo has like 6 billion points of data and they run Incredible. the NBA team. So these are all learned experiences that we're just taking advantage of, right? Yeah. And building on our own experiences. But the sponsor one is really key because you can even run targeted segmented campaigns specific to one particular activation. Yeah. You can see the results and then you can build other activations based on your success. So. I, I believe Exciting. that part of it's going to be really, really exciting. And it's a Canadian company again. Yeah, yeah. When I read that, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. And you'd fly under the radar because it's not yeah. sexy per se, but it yeah. it works. And and data with with iGaming, sports betting, all that. Uh, I always say you see the bet victors of the world out front. Yeah. What's behind it powering their data, their real time that lets fans bet on games in in you know in game betting. It's um, that's the real uh, key to all of that. So, so good uh, that you're leaning into that data world and excited to see what what comes of that. Um, so listen, respecting your time uh, where we, we've um, we've hit the hour, but I don't want to let you go without some professional development advice uh, for yes. listeners. Just, you know, what you know, makes uh, Mike Morreale tick and be successful and, you know, what are the habits and, you know, things that are, that you found important that you could pass, pass along? Well, I, I think, you know, understanding who you are is really important uh, and, and just working within that framework, um, not suggesting that you're more than what you are, but also not saying you're less um, in, in being very transparent and very open with your staff and your people uh, so they understand, you know, what it is your vision is and what it takes to, you know, create and maintain your vision and also stay ahead of the, the vision of what you're doing. Um, but, you know, a lot of what we do is is built on reputation and trust and relationships. It really is. Um, I That's what I'm good at. That's, I, I think you need to know what you're good at, number yes. one, right? And know what you're not so good at. So yeah. I tend to stay in that lane. And then mm-hmm. I surround myself with people that do stuff that I don't do very well. Well, And um, that, to me, has probably been the best. You know, be, be very comfortable, be prepared, understand your vision, understand who you are, but surround yourself with good people that round out the person that you are. Well said. Listen, man, um, been looking forward to this chat. Thank you so much for carving out time, excited for what you've built, more excited for what lies ahead, and and I'll be following with interest. 
Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on.